Hello and welcome to the 108th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and the second half will discuss the game they're here to promote. Which in this case is Ark Survival Evolved by Studio Wildcard. Jesse, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> hey there, um, I'm Jesse Rapsack. I'm co-founder and co-creative director at Studio Wildcard. And uh, we're the ones behind Ark Survival Evolved. And uh, we've been working on this since October of 2014. And, you know, I've, I spend a lot of my time and, and energy these days kind of uh, overseeing a lot of the uh, content creation and sort of uh, visual and um, content production sides of the game and, and uh, the game's kind of backstory and, and where it's going and, and things about it, it, its lore and anything like that. And so... Uh, we've got kind of a, a split team across the world. We've got some of us in Seattle, some of us in Florida, and then partner teams all over and individual contractors all over the world as well. So I spent a lot of my time managing those guys and helping them make sure they can do their best work and not be, you know, compromised by all the either boring or uh, catastrophic things that can distract you when you're trying to be creative and, and get uh, uh, good work done. Yeah, shiny things uh, are pretty pretty distracting. I find, uh, especially to yeah. especially to programmers. Like, oh, something shiny! Oh, please <laughs> don't, please make it beige walls, everyone. Please just focus. Um, but no, it sounds like a, a quite quite a job to say the least. And I can't congratulate you enough on your um, exponential rise uh, with Arc um, because I was there at PAX East, massive booth you had there. Well done. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was huge, and uh, loads of queues around it, and yeah, deservedly so because it's an extraordinary game. But before we talk about Ark, let's find out a little bit more about you and how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Well, you know, when I was in college, I was studying uh, computer science and digital arts. It was kind of like a combined degree, and with that, I kind of thought I wanted to get into movies. Um, but, you know, while I was working on that, I was also working on games as a side project, actually, ironically, with uh, with one of my, my co-founders uh, on ARC. That's how long, far back these relationships can go. Mm. And anyone looking to get into the game industry, you know, I would say regardless of where you go to uh, get your education, whether it's at a, you know, boutique game college or a university or a community college, you know, strike out and find the people that are doing the things that you are passionate about in gaming. Work together with them. Try to do some fun projects because you're going to build relationships that probably carry throughout your career. And you tend to keep working with the the same people that are the best people you find throughout your career. And so you'll most likely come back to those people later at some point, uh, as I and many of my peers in the industry have done. But, you know, uh, for me, I got my first job in, in visual effects and moved from Florida out to Los Angeles, California, and worked on uh, probably, I would say, a lot of movies that were kind of VFX movies that maybe people didn't see so much for the quality of the film. <laughs> you know, things like um, Exorcist the Beginning, Scooby-Doo, to uh, Catwoman, you know, lots of crazy stuff like that. But I was at a small boutique house doing visual effects, and I got to do a lot of things uh, from, you know, light programming work to 
doing all sorts of rotoscoping on uh, scenes and backplates and then doing 3D simulations for things like cloth or character interactions and shaders and materials. It was a really good uh, overall introduction to creating things that were visually and aesthetically pleasing and going towards a goal using all of this kind of combination of technical uh, background and artistic background that I had acquired up until that point. And after a few years to that, I, I started to drift back towards games because, you know, with visual effects, it was all about faster, cheaper, you know, and sleeping under your desk for three minutes of, of or sorry, three seconds of screen time, maybe six seconds of screen time. And for me, it just wasn't gratifying enough. Render times were too long. You know, and the games industry was always pulling me back in because I was always a gamer at heart. And so that's when I kind of branched off uh, a couple years after landing in Los Angeles to start a game studio and, and, and get the whole uh, thing going for myself there. And eventually moved over to India, got into game art outsourcing, lived there for three years full time, uh, then found my way back to the States through a bunch of other jobs. And long story, ended up where I am now with ARC, so... <laughs> no, that's a fantastic story, and you were right about sharing passions with other other people and sort of gravitating. And uh, but it's also interesting you worked in the film industry or, or animation side of things, and you probably worked on three or four weeks on uh, a piece of cloth that appeared on the screen for seven microseconds, and that's okay because that was your piece of cloth, <laughs> and you stood by exactly. it. Exactly, that was my thing, and I did that. So, so it's, a, it's like something to stand by, and uh, so your your mum. <laughs> look look see it's there it's there that little tear see it see it it's great yep. you, you, get your name in some credits somewhere yes. you feel you know feel good about it yes you're the one who sits there and waits for the credits because it's armies and armies and armies of people make these films and tv shows and uh especially the recent sort of um burst of um uh, superhero films which, quite frankly, I'm getting a little bit tired of. Sorry, everyone, but um, yes. oversaturation is, uh, you know, something I've had a debate on with, with people about. Like, isn't it going? Because I was actually yawning during Civil War. It's like I don't care. <laughs> Could you stop navel gazing and punch <laughs> some things, please? Oh no, more existentialism. Excellent, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, that's quite a passage, and here you are making a very very and you are making it it's still evolving both you know in its title and as a game itself um i'm not sure if that's deliberate but uh it certainly fits with how you've released the game it says but we'll talk about that in uh, presently so um as a creator then because you've been a creator of many many things uh over the years but um what do you find yourself gravitating towards more than anything what's the thing that keeps you going you know, I would say the things that are most interesting to me are are things that other people aren't quite doing that are more about innovating in a space where, you know, there's an opportunity. Because it's easy to create all sorts of stuff, right? We A, a lot of us of creators have the ability to make beautiful paintings or beautiful worlds or beautiful code. And, you know, that in and of itself is an awesome sort of zen-like thing. Um, but for me, I'm also very practical about, hey, I want 
what I create to be applied somewhere and to reach as many people as possible and to do something or, or the end result be something that is unique and that people aren't finding somewhere else. And, you know, I think for that, uh, I really started to feel that way early on in my career. And, you know, that's kind of why I went to India and I, you know, outsourcing was a thing that was starting and, you know, for, for, us as a group, it was like, well, how are we going to try to do this better than anyone else? Let's go to India. Let's live there for three years. You know, let's get this. Let's train people ourselves. Let's give a Western edge to the outsourcing thing, you know? So that's kind of like when it first started to me. Then when I came back to the U.S., I was like, well, I really want to get back into actually making games. So where can I apply, you know, my creativity? Um, and I bounced around for a little bit between different projects, trying to find, you know, something else uh, that would spark that creativity for me. Um, But I really found it, I think, when I landed on the HoloLens team relatively early on because I was sucked in by actually not knowing what it was. You know, when I was interviewing at Microsoft uh, for the role, um, they wouldn't tell me what the project was. And I was like, this is really strange. These people know my skills. They see what I have. They know what I bring to the table and they're doing something so secretive that they won't even tell the interviewees what they'll be working on when they get there. This has to be something that's going to be unique and game changing and that nobody else is doing. And just the sheer fact of that was a lot of people might've scared them. For me, it was the ultimate carrot, right? I'm like, wow, this is, I don't know what this job is yet, but I'm going to be able to apply my skills towards something amazing. And sure enough, when I got there, it was, you know, HoloLens. It wasn't called that at the time, but, you know, it was like putting holograms in your world using all sorts of the stuff I'd learned on my career, how to make 3D objects, how to do, you know, visual effects, how to bring together code and art and, you know, create something out of thin air that nobody else in the world had really done up until that point. And for me, it was quite a dream job for several years. And I, you know, was really excited when it was finally launched and my wife finally got to figure out what I was working on and my family. Uh, it, was, it was quite a secretive project. But, you know, for me, it was that that thing towards the end where it's like, all right, HoloLens is about done. What am I going to do next? You know, and that's when I got to, together with my buddies, um, you know, Jeremy Stieglitz and a bunch of other guys from college that I mentioned earlier. And uh, we realized there was an opportunity to do something really great with early access and dinosaurs and survival games that nobody was quite doing well. And so it sparked that interest in me again for creating something that there was kind of a opportunity to reach a lot of people, to do something slightly differently and better that wasn't quite being uh, done in the right way or with the right amount of effort or results. And that's kind of where ARC was born. It was looking around for the right project that we could have that impact on, and ARC was what came out of it. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. This is the what I can gather is you're inspired by the different, the unusual, the challenging, the the new, the what most people shirk against, most people run away from, the the unfamiliar. Um, uh, so whether we like it or not, that's why it's so hard to upsell different and and, and things that are so different people to shrink away like you know and it's it's only a credit to some products like for example or not products games um specifically um like, like, like journey when you try to sell that to someone like yeah it's just, you can't talk to anyone you just to bounce around and you can sort of cooperatively play with them really 
it's this this sounds terrible oh, actually, no, this is the best thing ever <laughs> you know and it's, it's, it's yeah i think that's what you're telling me is that you're constantly chasing the new not in a bad way you know like the quest for the new at any cost no one likes that we're probably you and i both been stung by that more than once but sometimes it's you're actually trying to create the new and that's what you're inspired by brilliant answer fantastic um, I have a variety of answers the, the best one i've had is um, not the best one but one of the most interesting ones is simply pause and went, i don't know reality <laughs> like yeah <laughs> the universe itself i'm inspired by the universe itself so yeah yes it's pretty good well it's all about execution too i mean you know a lot of people can have similar ideas for things you know arc wasn't the first dinosaur survival game by any means just like the iphone wasn't the first touchscreen device um but really it comes down to that execution and you know the building those relationships and finding the people that can execute with you is a real key part i think of building a successful team and you know as i mentioned jeremy and i go way back to college uh his people and my people and the 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 people that we've dragged with us in this industry that we follow us from project to project and job to job these are some of the most talented people that we've all worked with in our entire lives and you know we couldn't imagine doing projects like this without them you know i mean i've got guys that went to india with me you know uh, on my team now uh who we went separate ways for a little bit worked on other projects but now you know they're back working on arc you know i would say a lot of the people that are on our team now have been people that we've worked together with for years on and off um and it's only by having those people that you trust uh that you can rely on to know that this crazy thing you're trying to do, this crazy vision that everybody's collaborating on to bring together can actually happen and come to fruition. I mean, it's one thing to have a plan, but to be able to execute on the plan with the, the people and, the, and the, the, the tools and the opportunity that's there for you is, is the hard part, you know, and setting yourself up to take advantage of those opportunities and being able to move quickly when you need to is all a big part of, you know, building those relationships and building your expertise on the different types of things you work on and projects and expanding not just your expertise and what you do, but also how you work and, and how you do it. And that's why to us, this team and this project has been kind of like the dream project because, you know, we started it with no external funding, no no Kickstarter, nothing like that. We knew it was risky. You know, we we weren't being propped up by a publisher or anything. We just had this idea of what we wanted to do, and we just went for it, full sprint, you know. And it was not until we stopped to take a, a breath after we launched the game of nine months of sprinting that we realized how much we had actually accomplished, um, but also how much further we still had to go with it. Um, and it kind of like reinforced how much we all love working together and how much we have done, but also like what we had to do going forward with the game and the studio. And that's just kind of like the thing that I think is important for everybody to realize in their careers is building those relationships and working with people and working on projects. It's, it's like, building and maintaining friends right but you're building and maintaining your professional relationships and your industry connections and everything that you do so as you've been through the gauntlet several times from different perspectives you start to know 
what are the right things to focus on? What, who are the right people to work with? When's the right time to start something? When's the right time to end something? And all of that stuff, I think, culminates in synergy of a team working together. A lot of people outside of our team might think we're crazy. You know, we kind of dis- de- describe ourselves as the studio that never sleeps. And it's partially true because everybody's working all sorts of weird hours. Um, but it also just defines, I think, the, the passion and the way that we've all kind of started working together, where we're always kind of thinking about the game and thinking about, you know, our individual th- roles and things we're focusing on and it just kind of is like a nebulous uh process between us and the community of of creativity that goes through the sausage maker let's call it (laughs) as you might say and comes out on the other side as a complete product because it's really about going wide with ideas and things and, and and getting input from the community and everything and then you know diverging all of that and focusing it on onto the final thing that we ship so yeah and again you inspire by each other aren't you you, you feed off each other's definitely creativity. and also you said you know you never sleep because you sleep in strange hours but also you did mention that you have people on other continents working on it so it probably is the studio where the sun never sets i believe there was an empire that that's true once had that. so <laughs> um allegedly um so i'm gonna the next question is probably related to the you probably answered this already I don't know maybe uh, in, in passing but um, who do you most admire in the, in the industry and why it can be a company or a person hmm it's a tough one because it changes throughout the years you know yeah um, yep. I think I'll just talk about um a few, uh, you know, I've always been inspired growing up by the zany stuff, you know, that came out of my Nintendo, you know, like mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, Super Mario Kart or, uh, Super Mario World or, you know, any of the, um, chances I had to sit down and, and experience a world that was kind of created by, in a lot of ways, somebody who, was a masterful uh, crafter of this, these other other spaces, these places to live in. You know, my imagination would go wild with that stuff. And I had four other siblings that were all younger than me, and I was always the one who was hogging the controller. Um, but <laughs> we always uh, got all the multiplayer games that we could. Right? We got the four player games, and we got you know tried to have everybody. Uh, getting together and, and, and playing. And for me, that console generation of multiplayer was really the thing that kind of has always inspired me from a gaming standpoint. I've always been really gravitating towards the multiplayer um, experience because for me, playing games is social. You want to do it with the people that you know and and care about that are around you or across the world, you know. And so when when I got my PC later on, I started playing like again Quake, Doom, you know, these multiplayer games that were giving me a, kind of this new experience. And and instead of just playing with my friends, I was meeting new friends and playing online. But again, it was all about the multiplayer. Sure, I had fun with single player. You know, there's there's a lot of great um, solo games and adventures out there that I'm really passionate about. But I always come back to if I'm going to sit down and play games for a few minutes, it was always about you know, this multiplayer experience. 
Um, and then so as I, you know, got older and, and started having less and less time to play the games I want, I think that's even become more true because, you know, I went through the whole like, oh, well, all my friends right now are just playing Call of Duty phase. So we just play Call of Duty or Titanfall or whatever. And now I can't, you know, I can't even compete with some of these shooters now because everybody's just such a Twitch Twitch uh, shooter and spends so much time uh, playing the games. Uh, sorry, Twitch players. And they plan s- spend so much time playing the games almost like the eSport levels. Um, so I, I kind of shy away from that. But I'm still inspired by the people that are taking – um, the industry and doing new multiplayer stuff with us. And I think that's where ARC uh, came from, is this thought that, hey, single-player experiences are, are great, but multiplayer is kind of the magic where it happens. And how big can we make a multiplayer world? Um, and so we look at a lot of games that have tried to do that, you know, MMOs and stuff like that, that have these great big worlds, but they have their own problems, you know, like not... A lot of them are as action-based as we want it to be. Physics aren't always there and stuff like that. Um, so really, I think for me, it comes down to looking at um, the whenever some new multiplayer game c- comes out, I feel like I'm about to be inspired because and I don't mean just any multiplayer game. I mean a multiplayer type of methodology that's new. You know, like if we're all getting together and uh, we're playing an adventure that's more like a single player game, but it's a multiplayer game. That was originally part of what we were thinking for Ark. The single player has been kind of toned down a little bit in the final version because the community took what was Ark and created like a whole new world with role playing and everything that we're really starting to back right now. But now, I, as I'm, I'm been working on Ark for the past few years, I'm finding myself more and more inspired by people who are trying to push that multiplayer boundary in the ways that our game has because I'm seeing these common touch points of people creating stories, the players creating stories, you know, something that started and was kind of unique to Minecraft and stuff like that and that we really benefit from in ARC is that sort of storytelling and and being able to roleplay in kind of an unlimited universe. And those are the type of things that I'm looking to these days is how are the players themselves empowered to create things and sometimes i get really inspired by things that maybe weren't that commercially successful i remember being really impressed by project spark when microsoft put that game out yeah, I, um, like I happened to be too. at microsoft yeah, I, I like that too. yeah i happened to be at microsoft at the time and i was like wow this game is actually quite amazing from a, a developer's perspective you're basically making a game that allows people to make games yeah. And while it had sort of been done before in some other ways, they really tried to... I remember there was like kind of this crazy moment where um, my wife's cousin, who was only um, pretty young, probably like uh, 14 or 15, and and, um, hadn't really um, had any game programming experience at all, um, picked up Project Spark and coded his own game from scratch just by playing through the tutorials. And he made this... A really zany, like ball bouncing game where you controlled the ball and you were squashing the enemies and going around this map. And, and this is somebody who like had no idea how games were made and just picked up Project Spark and was able to make that. I was really sad to see that they, you know, the game hasn't been that successful. And they're, I guess, they're discontinuing it or something. Um, but I found myself really inspired by that process too because it was again like empowering people to tell their own stories and, and to make their own games. I think it was just a little bit ahead of its time probably um i hope that somebody finds another way to do that maybe in in a way that is 
financially viable <laughs> and uh and actually has a similar effect on the people that are the young uh game creators out there as well as the the old game creators you know i had a lot of fun with that game trying to make some fun prototypes and and use it as a fun prototyping tool in ways that you know unreal engine or unity are are pretty heavy-handed for you can't just sit back and play a game about making games and those things <laughs> no no uh has lowered the barrier of entry quite by quite some margin i'm sure you'd agree yeah but not nearly as low as some would suspect. I mean, quite frankly, you still need to know C sharp to get the most out of Unity, of course. And that's um, exactly that's uh, still it's not assembly. <laughs> you know, let's not go crazy. Uh, that's in the old days where they had to they had no you know assemblers or anything like that. They had to actually go to find where the switches were and go. All right, when that switch is on, that one over there, that's off. Got it? Excellent. Next, yeah. <laughs> you know, and whereas and I've said it on the show, exactly. take a drink, everyone. Um, computers are a series of switches. Even today, they still are just a series of switches. Um, they're accordingly, you know, complex ones, but nonetheless, they still fundamentally are just a series of switches. Um, but just going back to the point, then you're saying that you admire those who take the plunge and, and take the ball by the horns and make a multiplayer environment that's engaging and worthwhile. So people like making the Monster Hunter games in you know, the extraordinary realm that that created, and um, uh, everything from, of course, Blizzard and uh, its uh, ability to make multiplayer games quite extraordinary. Actually, they're they're brilliant at it, in my humble opinion. Um, you know, uh, it's really it's really one of the most challenging things to do. I think in gaming is make a compelling multiplayer experience because so there's so many things that have to go into it. Not just the way you design the game, but just technical as well. I mean, it's relatively easy to design a controlled single player experience, but the moment you have multiple people in there, it you have a whole other thing you have to worry about in terms of other people making the game fun for people around them or making it not fun or, you know, how even technically like making sure people are seeing the same thing on all of their screens all the time and that the gameplay is flowing properly. It's really a challenge. And, you know, on arc, that was one of the, or that is one of the things we spend most of our time on is, um, dealing with the, you know, the, the multiplayer, uh, aspect of the game. I mean, if, if we, the game would be done and finished, months ago if not a year ago if it was a single player yeah. game you know it's and it, it it lives on uh and because it's constantly changing with the multiplayer and as i mentioned that you know the programmers on our, our team are amazing i mean they really are doing things that are very challenging um in in the technical space that you know had I not known them i would have looked at this project and been like there's no way this is getting done <laughs> but you know, knowing who who I was working with, I was my first impression was this may just happen, and let's try to make it happen. <laughs> so my final question for the first half, uh, I know it's relatively easy, but it gets worse in the second half. It's like it's like two boss fights. Okay. Uh, so we got it's the first boss nice. fight. So this is the first one, and uh, I love asking this question because it gives me a hint as to what you're working on next. It doesn't at all. Normally, it has nothing to do with what you're working <laughs> on next, but it's because it's a podcast and we're legally required. About video games, who are legally required to ask this question: What are you playing right now? Ah, yeah. <laughs> good question. <laughs> Actually, you know VR. what? Um, I've yeah. I've been playing a lot of VR because oh, okay. I, 
it's new, right? It's a, it's the frontier. And like I said earlier, you know, I'm, I'm really attracted to things that are kind of new and risky and uncertain and trying to f- see if there's an opportunity uh, to do something that that's not being done well. Um, and not necessarily that that's what I'm working on next, because I, I feel like the market for VR is still not proven. There's not enough devices out there. Um, there's not really enough of, you know, to create a compelling experience. It feels a little bit like the wild west right now of app development there's a lot of like small vr experiences getting made um and it's very interesting to see like what people are resonating what's what's resonating with people what type of things people like to do in vr um but you know i will say that the technical team just got our our oculus rift uh support working again it was it had been um broken i think for uh, quite some time because we initially um uh, created it on the um, the DK2, the development kit for the Rift. Um, but uh, we we decided, hey, it'd be nice if the final production version of the Rift actually had its Arc support back. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's by no means a a finished VR implementation or what we would say is the the best VR implementation out there. But uh, it just made me think of it because we we did just kind of get that working again on the Steam build. But as for myself, you know, I'm really uh, taking a look at these because there's so many VR games that are coming out so fast. And, you know, it's it's something that I can, um, as as antisocial as it might seem from the outside, uh, to me, VR is actually much more social because, when I'm playing with my wife or my friends, they see what I see up on my monitor, you know, so they're able to see the game I'm playing. They're able to see the interactions I'm doing and we're able to take turns even in the same room um, with people uh, switching to HMD and trying out the games. And it's almost like board game night, you know, it's like, Hey, come over, play some VR. You know, we've got, you know, these six games to play tonight. Uh, Let's see what we like, you know, and, it, to me, it's been the opposite of what you would expect. It's been much more social gaming experience, kind of back to the the console days where you know, you know you had the Super Nintendo and your friends down the street didn't. They still had their Atari or whatever. But they, so everybody's going to come over to your house uh, to play the games, um, and that's kind of why I think that those are the type of games I've, I've been been praying, or, sorry, playing uh, recently. Whether it's you know Fruit Ninja VR or Raw Data, um, or you know Audio Shield or just whatever, right? It's the, you can experience these bite size um, uh, experiences. In some cases, maybe they're bigger ga- games. In other cases, but you can experience them, uh, see all this new stuff that the people developers are doing. They're trying to figure out like the ways that are going to become standard for VR titles to things like locomotion or, you know, how you um, uh, create your user interfaces and what types of interactions feel good and physics and how that's represented when things don't actually have a tactile representation. So it's all very interesting to me um, and it's all very fun. So I think that's where I've been spending most of my time with gaming in the past few months. Yeah, I think the social thing, I know uh, Sony are, going to be exploiting that with a particular game probably what it's called now but I did see it being played at an event called Rezd over here and uh, I think when that VR helmet comes out there's going to be a lot more of them out there uh, I'm going to be one of them because I did pre-order one uh, but um, I'm, yeah. I'm personally you know the, the, the two systems that the one, one of them requires a lot of room now I live in Europe I will leave it there. <laughs> you know, because you know, we don't... I've heard you guys have smaller rooms smaller over there. Rooms. You know that. You've been here. In general. Just generally, we just everything smaller. <laughs> and like, I actually measured out my office here. And yeah. like, no, barely. 
I might, it might work, uh, which is a shame because yeah. you know it's good fun. I've always, I've experienced it, and it's really good fun. Um, although I always have the dreaded, maybe irrational, maybe rational fear of getting pink eye from going to expos and putting VI helmets on. <laughs> Is that a it's thing? It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> happened. Happened at PAX to pink eye from HMPs. Yes, yeah, people not really. Yeah, knowing how that. Oh dear, not nice. Anyway, um, but uh, I mean, there's also keep talking and nobody explodes. That's the. That's a really good VR game yep. where one person's trying to defuse the bomb and everyone else has got instructions, yelling at them, going, "No, no, press right." No, oh God, we're all dead. So yeah. Yes, that is hilarious. So, yeah, great answer on VR stuff. Yeah, it's good to know that you're diving in. Of course, Ark is, is, is uh, really good for it. It must be. Um, and that's going to be really fun, optimizing that uh, over, over, the, over, over time uh, as, as things go on. Um, because, it's, in fact, it, it's, it's, a, it's a game that's going to remain alive for quite some time. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, for us, VR is just quite interesting. Um, we're not sure about the commercial uh, aspects of it yet but we did want to make sure we've got you know some support in there if people want to try it out and give us feedback on how it can be better because yeah. we know it's not it's it's basically you know we did some cool stuff with head tracking um but you know it's basically playing with the gamepad uh with um full head tracking and stuff enabled so it definitely uh has some rough edges but you know that's the nature of early access so so that's the end of the first half Hey, let's move on to the second half where we delve deep into Ark Survival Evolved. Jesse, tell us. This is the zeroth question, by the way. Um, tell us, <laughs> what is Ark Survival Evolved? So, Ark Survival Evolved is at its core a dinosaur survival game. Um, it's got a big multiplayer component to it. It's really catering towards the people who like to live in a world and build it and make it their own. Uh, role players, adventurers, uh, whoever likes dinosaurs and being in an environment that helps facilitate experiencing them, especially taming them and riding them, you'll probably love Ark. Um, we've really taken a lot of inspiration uh, from survival games that came before it and tried to take what we thought was missing with some of those experiences and fill fill in the gaps with Ark, uh, giving it a sense of place, giving it a sense of exploration and adventure um, it's not like a procedurally generated uh, world or anything like that. The team spends time like really placing things and naming things and you know putting hints around the world. Uh, we've we've got some ruins that have gone into the main island lately. Uh, we've we've got explorer notes that we're adding soon to give um, backstory uh, hints at the game. And there is an end game that that's going in uh, more towards launch. 
that kind of ties all of it together and has it make sense. So now you understand maybe what this thing is about and why you're why you're on this island with all these dinosaurs. Uh, and we've also added a lot to the game since since we've launched. It's got one of the most vibrant mod communities on PC right now. There's many thousands of mods. So if you like mods and changing up uh, the game the way it was sort of designed, Ark is a game for you because we have a great mod kit. We've we've it's built on Unreal Engine. So if you learn any of the tools uh, to build Ark maps, you've learned how to make Unreal games, and vice versa. If you've worked in Unreal before. You probably know a thing or two about how to make maps for ARC and new content. And even if you don't want to make mods, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of mods out there to try. You know, some of them are really funny and silly, and some of them are really serious and add some really cool elements to the game. We've taken a few of them in-house ourselves uh, in the form of Primitive Plus, which is a mod that replaces all of the technological tiers of the game with some primitive alternatives. It allows you to live off the land a little bit and create... Um, more of a cohesive sort of uh, non-technically advanced uh, gameplay curve. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've got uh, official maps like the center that we've brought in, which is a whole nother game area, a little more fantastical, a, a larger map, gives players like other things to to do and goals to have that are totally separate from the main game. And so, you know, Ark has been growing. You know, we've got a competitive mode, Survival of the Fittest, which is now part of uh, when you buy Ark, you get that for free. Um, so that's a whole other subset of people. If you like to play uh, competitively and, and have Hunger Games-style tournaments, um, there's that that game for you, too, that's that's part of ARC. Uh, so ARC has become a lot of things, um, but it's still, back at its core, a dinosaur survival game with a sense of adventure. Right. And there's no killing people for baked beans in this game. It's absolutely clear. <laughs> you can kill people for a lot of things, beans. though. I've got a can of baked beans, no. You know what game I'm referring to there? Sorry, there no. May be, there may be a, there may be a mod about yeah, that. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, I don't want to downplay what you've done here, but I think that was one of the earliest forms of it. Uh, that the, the, the people know I'm talking about, and what game I'm referring to. And that, that game was bonkers. It was barely a thing, and it didn't work anyway. Uh, and uh, Ark very much does. And uh, I, it's a great description of it. It's really hard to fathom, but basically, you're dropped in this world with very little, very very little. And uh, you're there to basically survive on what you've got. It's it, it survival with a capital glowing S on fire is basically how I, I, I stress yes. people. Like, why can't I do this? Why can't I run five thousand miles an hour? Why am I so fragile? Because like because you are. You're this fleshy ape thing. You're not a giant bird pointing at giant dinosaur. Uh, I love the fact that we've got birds flying <laughs> around and all dinosaurs. <laughs> I think it's fantastic that is, but. Uh, Little Blackbird <laughs> was once a giant, great, whatever it was. You know, it's a, it's a, and, and that's why I like. I like. I, I commonly refer to the, the dinosaurs as look. It's a bird, is it? But it's a, oh god, don't start. <laughs> but, um, anyway, so I've got some questions here. Like these are all design based questions. So these, here we go, and um, I'm going to start with yes, this one. Um, they're not in a particular order. I just like, based on our conversation we've had so far. And I think you've touched on some things already, but some of them are new. One of the things that's been alerted to me, and I've experienced it as well, and other players have as well. One of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is taming of creatures. Um, and the fact you can do this, this is a great thing, because in other survival games, when you encounter a creature, it's either run away or kill it. 
Whereas in this game, it's run away, kill it, or tame it. Um, but the question has been asked is, why so much, does it take so much effort to do this? Why is the effort so proportionally high? Well, you know, one of the things, I think the answer is partially designed, partially technical. Um, and a lot of it also is around the multiplayer aspect. So, uh, first of all, with design-wise, we really wanted the creatures to have a lot of value and not just be easy to get, you know, especially the more difficult creatures. Um, we want players to kind of build an attachment to their creatures. You can obviously name them, paint them. You can breed them and create new creatures. And we always felt that if it was just really easy to tame these creatures, then they would feel more of like, I don't know, not as rich of a of a feature, more of like a commodity. Like you're going to go, oh, I'm going to go get a raptor, and then I'm going to get, oh, my raptor died. Okay, I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to go get three more, and then I'm going to go get a stegosaurus. Where if you have to spend the time to tame the creatures and raise them and level up their stats, um, you'll be a lot more careful with them in gameplay and maybe you won't do such brash things with them all the time. And, you know, they'll have their own identities and they'll be kind of part of your tribe and they won't just be some sort of item that you can ride or power up that you can get. And that was kind of always really important to us. And then technically, you know, arc as a multiplayer server is very performance constrained. And so, there's kind of a practical thing as well where we don't just want everybody being able to instantly tame all of these creatures and have the like thousands of creatures tamed and there's no more wild creatures for everybody to uh, to tame. And so there's kind of a background technical balancing also that's that's going on on, on our at least on our official servers where you know we've got limits for the number of uh, tames that a tribe can have. We've got, you know, limits for the number of dinosaurs that can spawn on the island. Um, and if people were able to just instantly tame everything, 70 players per server, they log out. Suddenly there's tame dinosaurs just lying around um, that, you know, other people can't tame. You know, they'd have to kill or wait for them to become claimable, things like that, depending on the type of server they're playing on. So there's a lot of factors that, that really go into this. And a lot of it comes down to you know, kind of the multiplayer aspect and wanting everybody to have access to these dinosaurs and creatures, but not making them too easy to get and making them effort and require teams to work together uh, to get them so so that uh, they become more uh, protected and are a little bit more evenly distributed, um, I would say, than if somebody was just able to get in there, run around in one hour and just like, you know, tame, 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 tame and just get, you know, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of creatures so that's kind of like a meandering answer but i i think it's a kind of a meandering problem every time you think you've solved one thing there's another reason uh, why you should or shouldn't do it that way you know what i'm yeah, saying it's so worst, it's kind of a delicate yeah, balance the worst game of whack-a-mole ever um, which whack-a-mole is a terrible game anyway yeah and then you've got that to, to deal with and <laughs> i mean the perception i've got from me as a relatively experienced player but i've I've been enjoying it tremendously since I started getting onto it. And uh, also from very experienced players that I know, and we'll talk about them presently in a, in a moment, but they've said, you know, we're worried about, generally concerned about new players and their approach and 
make sure that they're looked after. Yes. And uh, I said, well, new players are the lifeblood of any multiplayer game. You know this. I know this. Uh, but for some reason, players don't. <laughs> and uh, it's that, you know making sure that community is... is um, well, to the point, the game encourages experimentation, but to the point of uh, overly punitive damages against uh, those. But you're right. I think nurturing and doing something and the effort must be, you know, match the reward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And balancing that is sometimes not impossible. And I would say, as as for new players and stuff like that too, we really try to create as few rules as possible with how the game plays because we really find that players do that themselves. I mean, if you go onto any ARC server, you'll see a whole different kind of community that's formed on that server and and different types of tribes that have, you know, sort of risen up, whether there's like one alpha tribe or several powerful tribes uh, that have kind of like taken over the server. It really depends. And each ARC server is a different experience. And so we we rather give the players the tools to make their own rules uh, for any given server, and we do that through a number of in-game ways. Whether it's tribe stuff, you know, tribe logs, you're able to see who did what, what happened. Give you know, give people permissions, choose ways to govern your tribe, things like that. Um, or if it's server admin stuff, you know, we have a wide variety of unofficial servers i mean a limitless number of unofficial server configurations really because we've exposed all of the parameters for the game for any server admins or groups of friends that want to play together to tweak the server as they need to you know we've got a lot of our peers in the industry that run arc servers you know whether it's you know guys at valve or people at epic um and you know they they do it because like us they they work really hard on, on things, and when they want to, you know, play some a, a, a peer's game in the industry, um, you know, they don't always have the hours and hours and hours to sit down and play. And so they'll create a server with accelerated tame times or you know different rule sets so that they can hop in and out and and have a good time playing and experience more of the game that way. And you know, the, so that's what we've tried to do. A lot of people are, you know, I, I I've seen comments with like. You know that that's that's not the way to go because you need to you know have the game design fixed uh, quote fixed so that uh, you, you know um, all these problems aren't there. But it's again that whack-a-mole thing. What's one person's problem is another person's feature. You know, and it, it, it's really the, there's so many different types of players playing Arc that we can't possibly create a game where every person is going to be very happy about the rule set that's implemented. Um, on an official server and so that's why we have really always been very transparent and and trying to give those the server away for free allowing people to host even on xbox their own you know um, dedicated server so that they can make the rules the way they want and and have fun yeah. with the game um so speaking of the the community um one of the things i've encountered and read about and i know someone who, who is very interactive with it is the role-playing community um, what do you make of this? Well, it's emerged when we first launched the game, and we in- immediately grabbed onto it because the streamers and their fans were immediately coming up to us at the trade shows and being like, this game gives us such a framework for role-playing. It's crazy. And... That first happened at E3 uh, 2015. You know, that's kind of where some of the ideas for Survival of the Fittest came from. Um, but 
we kind of saw that and we've decided to just reinforce it. You know, we've a lot of the features that go into the game, you know, we say, hey, this would be good for role players. So furniture, you know, fishing partially even is is just a fun role playing feature. Uh, Costumes and hats that we put in there. Um, The whole war paint system that we have where, you know, you can paint um, your characters and and costumes and dinosaurs in any way you want. Uh, All the customization, all of that stuff has really been around supporting role-playing and even this idea that we've got craftable things that can be you know custom food items and give them you know your own names that give you your own um benefits of of uh stats from eating them and you know it's it's really been entertaining for us to see the content creators and their fans that have kind of like become more uh, have more notoriety because of the videos and things they've been making uh, with Ark, you know, like Slipgator, um, for example, he does a lot like a weekly. It, it's definitely for him. It's like r- playing a role of who his character is in Ark, right? And he, he's got like this very frequent uh, video series he puts out of all the latest th- latest things in the game, and you know he's got recurring c- characters that come back and you know come onto his, his stream and 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 are part of the story. Um, and for us, it's just been endlessly entertaining uh, to see the type of things that people are doing uh, in the RP space. And we're just always going to support it, uh, probably not just on this game, but on every future game we do, because the content creators out there are the ones that are really the magical ones making this not just a game experience for people, but also a general entertainment experience. Yeah, there's a, a friend of mine mentioned Twitch RP, which apparently is a feed that, uh, yeah. dedicated to this very thing. Um, I haven't delved into it too much um, because I love playing the game more than actually um, watching streams of it. No offense, streamers. Sorry, I am one. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I find it fascinating when people like you built this world and innocently you thought, yeah, people just gonna you know chill and run around dinosaurs as they can and and just try to survive. And um, whereas you know it happens in other survival like games that typically it's you see someone else. You'd, you point a gun at them and go, drop the weapon. <laughs> it was a yep. Mexican standoff where it doesn't typically happen. It can happen in Ark, of course, but most of the time it's like they're all in this mess together and uh, you're trying to muck in as best you can, can't you? Yeah. yeah. So, my next question then. Um, this deals with um, a future thing. And you may go, Chris, I can't talk about this. And that's fine. Uh, but I've been asked... It very um, uh, deliberately. I don't know much about it because I'm, said my my game experience is I'm a new player. Um, but um, the tech tier, there's a new tier of technology coming in. How do you believe this will affect the game as a whole, and um, both new and experienced players? How will they interact with it? Without going to too many specifics. So, yeah. So the tech tier is kind of our end game tier and it's going to be part of our end game loop as well so while it's going to allow you to do some pretty cool stuff in the main game um a lot of shortcuts for things you know we've we've talked about um having special sort of gene splicers and things like that 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 tie into the sort of um mating and, and raising creatures and then uh scenario and then we've talked about some other things like um, certain types of replacements for uh, beds and things like that that are more convenient for gameplay. Um, it's never going to be something that's overpowering. Uh, one of the things that we've always kind of been passionate about is 
even if something is a low tech tier or not tech tier, but a, a low technology tier item, um, it still should be useful in the game and still should have, you know, some added value uh, for even using it. You know, a good example is, you know, the revolver is is very powerful, uh, whereas the tech version of the pistol is a lot less powerful and and but fires more qu- quickly and stuff like that. And so you won't find us putting in a tech tier that's overpowering um, to the rest of the game. Uh, but it will help you with a couple things, especially uh, related to kind of the end game boss loop. Um, there's a boss that that's uh, hasn't been announced yet. That's kind of like the final boss for the game, and is is really kind of capping the end game experience. Uh, but the tech tier is all going to be sort of expanded on, and it's both a reward and a path to completing the end game as you go through that loop. So we're pretty excited about it. We haven't really put it in the game yet because we don't want to do it too early and kind of disrupt the balance of what's there. Um, but I think that uh, players will have a lot to look forward to when that comes out. Uh, it, it won't totally change the way people are playing the game right now, uh, but it will be tied in with all of the the end game loop and bringing sort of the story together uh, when the game launches. Yeah, so I don't think you're going to give players ICBMs or anything like <laughs> yeah. What's this? Oh, call call like, in call in the nuclear strike. Yeah, just just call in a massive <laughs> wipe, wipe the server. Yeah, just like yes, cleanse and burn. I'm now going to reduce this <laughs> server to glass. Oh God. Um, yes. But yes, none, none of that. Although that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> this would be a, a good a good mod where the yeah. mad mad scientist evil villain can take over the island and destroy the world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which leads me on to my final question I know all good things come to an end but with any community driven game I have to ask we hinted at this before but I want to delve into it a little bit deeper from you and see what, what, what work you've got in done, done for this Is how do you maintain a community that isn't, how can I put it without coming across as uh, too brutish but uh, not toxic uh, maybe it's another word but do you know what I mean um, there's many games out there that are multiplayer driven that sadly their community has become incredibly toxic I won't mention any names, you know the ones you're probably, probably familiar with um, what do you think you're doing to, to prevent that from happening with Ark? Well you know one thing that we've tried to do outside of the game is to get better at customer service, I mean we have a dedicated customer service team uh, I, you know, I think the hardest part about that is getting people to realize that and, you know, go on to survivethearc.com and, and create a support ticket. I mean, we really do have a, a whole team of people that take those tickets, evaluate them and respond to them. Uh, you know, if it's anything from um, a player that's being abusive or doing something they shouldn't be doing in the game to just, hey, uh, a, a bug happened and, you know, I'm stuck and I can't get out of this location. Uh, we really try to put actual humans behind those responses so that people can get help when they need it, you know, feel like they have somewhere to uh, talk about the problems or vent with the issues of maybe perhaps other players or things like that, that they is not just a forum where they're screaming into a void. Um, so that's some of the stuff we're doing there. Um, and in, in terms of in-game stuff, you know, with, griefing and players doing things that are kind of griefing or or turning into a bad experience for some other players again we try to give tools in the game with things like our logs and you're able to see who did what um and really it can help support the customer service angle of things 
but also it can give players an idea of like who are the bad actors in the game and you know are they continuing to do something and the communities themselves can kind of help correct it i mean we've seen plenty of things happen in arc before where you know people have caught the the, the bad actors and like put them up in a in a, a jail and starve them, you know, so, until not let them get back on the server, you know. So I think there's a combination of, of ways for that. But I think Ark in general seems to have an encouraging community. Um, I wouldn't say like a, as a blanket statement, but I mean, as compared to some other online games, there's a lot of people that like to help other players when they come into the game, give them, you know, a leg up on the world so they're not just getting slaughtered by creatures or other players. Um, and so we do try to address both sides, both out of the game customer service and in-game tools for people. Um, and I think it's bared fruit to some extent and we'll just keep trying to get better at that. You know, every week our customer service team is keeping track of, you know, the number of tickets and how many people have given them positive ratings versus negative ratings and stuff like that. So they're really dedicated group and, and you'll just see more of that as as we get towards launch as well too, uh, increasing the capacity of of those teams to to act, and also us kind of cleaning up some of the balancing and stuff that's kind of like long running issues with the game that we plan to get to uh, at some point or the other that some players may consider exploits and things like that. We do try to handle things that are outright exploits very quickly. Uh, you know, anybody who's reported an exploit, um, we really try to address that with hot fixes ASAP. Uh, so we kind of get, take away the opportunity for people uh, to ruin the game for other people. So that's kind of like a combination of the things that I think we do to try to address that stuff. Yeah, I just wanted to draw that out with you because it's, that's a, a biggest challenge, I believe, one of the biggest challenges any developer of a multiplayer-focused game is going to face is to make sure that it's, you know, it's, it's a pleasant experience for everyone. And uh, yes. it's just, uh, I wanted to talk, it's like, you probably think, oh, Chris is a bit negative, but I just wanted to get that out of you. I hope you're all right with that. Um, so- well, not really. I mean, you know, the thing is, it's all about knowing. If we don't know it's a problem, then we can't fix it. Exactly. And so I would just encourage people to continue to use our tools to report things. Um, things like server outages and stuff like that can also be griefing. You know, we've had um, DDoS attacks on servers in the past and things like that. So it's important for the community to voice anything that's going on because we've got people dedicated to listening to them and trying to get things resolved as quickly as possible. Well, Jesse, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, Ark Survival Evolved is out on it's Windows PC and it's also on Xbox, isn't it? Yep, that's correct. So there are two platforms at the moment, yes? Yes. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was on Mac as well. I couldn't remember. Forgive me. More research, Mr. Chris. Um, but uh, like I said, it's been fantastic having you on. Well, sorry, I, I should say it is on Mac and Linux. We, when we say PC, we mean... <laughs> yeah, when we say PC, we mean... Uh, um, PC, Mac, and Linux through Steam, right. um, and then also Xbox. So, yeah. if you have a Steam box, you can play it on Linux. Yes. Um, otherwise, uh, Mac as well. Okay. Um, and yeah, so uh, more platforms coming at launch, and Ooh, you know, exciting. stay tuned for that. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It's just uh, I, when I say Windows PC, I have to be very careful. I have to preface it with Windows, otherwise yeah. people get mad. <laughs> people get mad. I'm sure you know why. Um, but yep. um, anyway, like I said, very, very, very best of luck with it. It's been fantastic seeing it grow. Like I said, I was really impressed with your presence at, uh, at PAX East this year, and uh, I just wish you coming to PAX West. Are you? Are you? We're going to be there. Yes, I'm being. I'm going there too. So uh, 
I'm really... Did they officially change the name? I'm so confused if it, if it's finally PAX West now or if it's PAX Prime. But anyway, we're there. Yeah, the community, so... the community does it like this. There is a PAX community, like of course there is. They call it PAX Prime Cross Out West. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen forum posts go. like, well, what do we call it? It's this. What? Is that the official? Yeah, PAX Prime Cross Out West. <laughs> <laughs> the packs formerly known as Prime. So if you're going, it'd be good to meet face to face. Well, we're there. So yeah, don't miss it. Um, our booth is bigger than Pax East, even. So <laughs> is that possible? Oh God! Oh, it's possible, <laughs> and we've done it. We're a game about giant dinosaurs, so we just have to have the giantest, most awesomest booth. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jess. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast shall we say of spong.com bye bye